So now we come directly into message three, uh, continuing the matter of knowing Christ based upon being found in Christ, not having our own self-made righteousness, but the righteousness is of God, the righteousness of Christ, which is in us experientially and subjectively through faith. And this lays the foundation for our knowing Christ. Now we're in verse 10, but that beginning to know him, it's to know Christ. It is to know the power of his resurrection. It is to know the fellowship of his sufferings. And it is to know being conformed to his death. And you'll see in message four, it leads us to a particular goal that we may know the meaning and the process of what is called the out-resurrection, the resurrection of the overcomers. Those who have passed away will be the man-child. Those who will be living and will be the first fruits. But a brief comment on knowing the Lord's, the fellowship of his sufferings. There are more than one kinds of sufferings in the lives of Christians. There is a suffering that everyone living on the earth has, has because you're here. Like we all went through with that virus all, all over the earth. And we don't say that that's in itself a spiritual thing. And then some suffer because of the things we do wrong. If someone is always late for work and his administrators reminding him or her about that, but continues doing this, then they're fired. He can't say, well, I'm suffering for Christ. No, you're suffering for your own failure to be a a proper person in your job. And then there is the failure, I mean, sorry, the suffering for transformation. This is seen very much in 2 Corinthians chapters 3, uh, 1 and 3, 4 and 5. But what Paul was experiencing when he talked about the fellowship of Christ's suffering. Christ is suffering now in a sense. Remember what he said to Saul of Tarsus, known as Paul. Why do you persecute me? That he's the head of the body and he's the life and element of the body. 
And if any member of the body suffers, the whole body suffers. So he was aware of the saints being persecuted, even executed, the suffering. And so Paul eventually was brought to the point where he wrote in Colossians chapter 1, I think it's verse 24, he said, I am make up what is lacking in the sufferings of Christ for the church, the body. So the fellowship of Christ's suffering is participating in a particular kind of suffering, not for your own development, but for life to be ministered to the church, to the saints, to the body. And without doubt, our dear brother Nee, whom we long to see when we are together, all of us, he suffered almost from the time he was regenerated. But during the last 20 years, nonstop, but it was all for the body to minister life. And so this is an experiential knowing. And now we come to the first part of the outline. Paul aspired to know Christ. And we're emphasizing this word. We use it again in Roman numeral two. There's this longing in him. And... Uh, this yearning, and that motivates him to be pursuing, to stretching forward, to press on, that he wanted to know Christ experientially as much as any maturing human being can know in this age. Actually, saints, in our lifetime, we can never know all there is to know about Christ. It's impossible. And we should remember that our God is eternal. And we will be knowing him forever. But in between, near the end of this age, you read in Revelation 19, that here you have, the bride has made herself ready. And then later in the chapter, the bride is the bridal army coming to the battle at Armageddon with the Lord. And you just look in that chapter. I don't remember the verse right now. There's a name written on his thigh that no one knows. And you look at the footnote. Even Christ is coming, but even his bridal army don't yet fully know this marvelous person. So we should be content with just, in a regular way, advancing to knowing Christ more and more in his all-inclusiveness. And don't think that we're going to try to reach everything even the whole body cannot, because God is infinite, 
So we will be experientially learning him, experiencing him, enjoying him. As I mentioned in message one, forever. And I'm from long distance, I'm looking forward to that. Point A, to have the excellency of the knowledge of Christ in Philippians 3.8 is by revelation. But to know him in verse 10 is by experience. And remember about the crucial prayers in Ephesians chapters 1 and 3. In chapter 1, Paul is praying to God the Father that he would give us a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the full knowledge of him, the eyes of our heart being enlightened. This is prayer for genuine spiritual inward revelation. But then in chapter 3, he's praying again for us to be strengthened with power into the inner man so that Christ may make his home in our heart. That's experiential. But to reinforce this point, I'd like to read and refer to some verses from Galatians. And I'm reading chapter 1, verse 15, the first part, and verse 16, the second part, and a marvelous footnote on verse 16. But when it pleased God to reveal his son in me, please pay attention to that. It pleased God to reveal his son in me. And this is the footnote, footnote three on verse 16. God's revealing of his son to us in us. God's revealing of his son to us is in us. It is not an outward, but inward. Not an outward vision but an inward seeing. It is not an objective revelation, but a subjective one. And so right here, we should realize there's more than we may have considered before this, to knowing him by revelation. Well, we are the beneficiaries of the ministry of the age with the vision of the age. And at least we begin to see objectively by the revelation recorded in the New Testament, what a wonderful person that Christ is. But I wanna emphasize what Paul is emphasizing. It pleased God and it still pleases him to reveal his son in us. 
And I want to refer to that footnote again, because this is not outward. This is inward. It's an inward seeing. And again, I would ask you, please don't analyze yourself. Don't be introspecting. But just come to the Lord with your heart turned to the Lord, open to him, exercising your spirit, coming forward through faith in his powerful cleansing blood and say, Lord, I want to know you. And I think I know a number of things. But Lord, it may be to me. It may be mainly objective to me. Lord, I want you to be revealed in me. And then the Lord might gently say, as he's shepherding us, he said, I'm so happy you are uh, fellowshipping that with me. But just remember, Paul said, God the Father revealed his son. And so it'd be very precious. I'm not trying to be uh, legal here. But the Apostle Paul, John rather, when he's writing his first epistle, he said, we are sharing this thing that you may have fellowship with us. Chapter 1, verse 3. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. This is kind of a footnote to the message. And I ask gently, you know, how much fellowship in your daily Christian life do you have with God the Father? Because God is focused on the Son. The Son is the center. But we all know that after the Lord established the new covenant and they had the first breaking of bread in the drinking of the cup, then what did they do? They sang a hymn. It had to be to the Father. Then you read Hebrews chapter 2. Christ makes himself known to the church. And in the church, he's singing praise to the Father. And so the Father is just, he is just delighted to have the opportunity to reveal his Son in us inwardly so that we may come to know him experientially. And that's what we see in two other verses in Galatians. We read the verses, the Son of God is revealed in me. Then in chapter 2, verse 20, I was crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who's living. It is Christ who's living in me. This is experiential. What, what a testimony to be able to say, all of us. And by faith I say this, not overstating, Christ is living in me. Christ is living in you. We were all crucified when he did. He died. 
Romans 6, 6. And the life which I now live. Now, wait a minute. You said you don't live. Well, that was the old I. And now Christ is in me. I'm a new person. This is a new I. And the life which I now live. How? I live by the faith of the Son of God. So even Christ is the faith by which I believe. Who loved me. And gave himself up. For me. This is experiential. And then in chapter 4 verse 19. I think it's better that I read the verse. Rather than trying to get all the words by memory. Because there's something very precious here. My children. He mentioned this. In 1 Corinthians, you have many teachers, but not many fathers. I'm your father spiritually. You're my children. My children, with whom I travail again in birth until Christ is formed in you. He said, travail again. It's like uh, a mother-to-be or a mother having another child travailing while giving birth to an infant. And he travailed when he announced the gospel concerning the crucified and resurrected Christ. Now he's saying, I travail again until Throughout his whole life, he was travailing. When he wrote this, he was travailing for us to the very end until Christ is formed in you. So we see how these three verses go together. And I don't know if a word like this should ever be released by the Lord if he would lead to meetings for those that are serving full-time or those that are the elders or the leading ones in the churches or co-workers. I would like to ask a question on behalf of the Lord. Is anyone travailing in birth? As Paul was travailing, for Christ to be formed in the saints. And so this was written long before he wrote Philippians. But now he's emphasizing the experience of Christ, the enjoyment of Christ. And he emphasizes rejoicing in the Lord. But you read chapter 2. He talks about a, a dear fellow worker. He said he was very ill, even almost to death. But God had mercy on him and on me that I would not have more and more sufferings. So he was rejoicing and he was suffering simultaneously. I love that verse. 
in Nehemiah 8, 11. The joy of Jehovah is your strength. And so he was full of joy. He was a drink offering to be poured out, rejoicing. But at the same time, he was suffering and travailing, not for himself, but for all the churches and all the saints. So that's why point B is very helpful to underscore this, what I've been just trying to share. Paul first received the revelation of Christ, then sought the experience of Christ to know and enjoy Christ in an experiential way. Paul sought. And again, this is not a training, so I have to be quite uh, limited for the benefit of all. But how many saints are seeking this? If we are really seeking this, we're going to pray for this. We're going to talk to the Lord about this. We're going to pray, read verses about this. It doesn't happen automatically. An inward revelation has come. And now you're just going to be experiencing and enjoying Christ effortlessly. On our part, there needs to be the seeking. Then point C, quote, the one thing. That's from chapter 2, verse 2. He said, if, if, if anyone is, is loved, if they're in fellowship, think the one thing. And the context is... This one thing in the book of Philippians is the subjective knowledge and experience of Christ. And Paul was hoping that all the saints in the church in Philippi would have the same mind and have the one thing. We want Christ. We want to know Christ. We want to experience Christ. We want to live Christ. We want to minister Christ. We want to exalt Christ. We want to preach the gospel concerning Christ for others to be saved. Now, section D, of course, is the central part here. To know Christ is not merely to have the knowledge concerning him, but to gain his very person. And so to have knowledge concerning him, that is at the beginning. We have to start here. All of us, we have to know certain basic truths regarding Christ, the Son of God. But that's knowing kind of in an objective way. But to know him experientially is to gain his person. Because the Lord is not going to just show us this thing or that thing, this matter or that matter. 
what he will be made known is aspects of himself, of his person. He is truly the all-inclusive Christ. The entire triune God is embodied in him and all the positive things in the universe typify him. And Brother Nee has a book on this about Christ is all matters and things. So you need rest, Christ is rest. If you need encouragement, Christ is encouragement. If you need peace, he's peace. He's, he's everything. And so here we have, we know him by gaining him. And we gain him because we're seeking him, we're pursuing him, and day by day, we gain a little more. The person himself that is more of Christ is being formed in you. More aspects of Christ are being experienced and enjoyed for you. One, to gain something requires the paying of a price. To gain Christ is to experience, enjoy, and take possession of his unsearchable riches by paying a price. Now, if you would send me a text or an email and just say, Ron, what is the price? I would say, I don't know. That's for me. That's for, not for me to say. That's between you and the Lord. I mentioned this previously. He said this to the church in Laodicea. You think you have everything. You're discontent. You know everything. But actually, you don't have this and that. You don't have the reality. You're lukewarm. So you need to buy from me. And so the Lord knows what it is for each one of us. And it can be a very actual and practical aspect of our living, of our constitution, of our planning, our hopes, for others in our life, whatever the price is. This is an indicator that we're pursuing. The all-inclusive Christ does not come in a priceless, cheap way. And if we realize whatever price we pay, and I hope that some saints during the the prophesying time that will start a little after uh, nine o'clock your time. That there are saints right here. I know you're there. That you have paid this price and that price to gain the Christ that you have come to know to this point. And eventually you realize there's no price that can match the preciousness of the riches of Christ. So, Lord, whatever it is, 
by your mercy and grace, I am willing. Two, Christ has gained, has gained us, taken possession of us, that we might gain him, take possession of him. So those that are newer or younger, this may sound something brand new. But when Christ died on the cross, he redeemed you. That, he, that means he paid the price to bring you back to God. So he has gained you. You belong to him. He created you. He redeemed you. He died and resurrected for you. And now he has gained you and he has right possession for you. And on our side, we should say, Lord, yes, I'm yours. Are we not consecrated people? Do we not renew this day by day in most of our lives? I'm not my own. I don't belong to me. I am his. He has gained me. He possesses me. He has the right to do whatever he wants in my life. Because I'm his. But this is so that I can gain him in his all-inclusiveness. And possess him in his unsearchable riches. Point three, the Christian life is a life of gaining Christ in his full ministry in three divine and mystical stages. The incarnation, what he accomplished in his life on earth. Inclusion, when in his resurrection, the spirit of God became the all-inclusive life-giving spirit. And intensification, when he functions as having the sevenfold intensified spirit, whatever stage this is, we gain Christ and possess him. A, even though Paul had experienced and gained Christ tremendously, he did not consider that he had experienced him in full or gain him to the uttermost. And so it's very sad. Very sad. Almost heart aching. Just to come together in a Lord's Day meeting. There's no spirit of judgment at all. There's no criticism at all. When I come to the Lord's table. And when you come. We have Christ as our peace offering. And as the elements come, I can inwardly say, Lord, based upon you as the peace offering, I'm at peace with you and with every brother and sister, every member of the body of Christ. That you are, you are this peace. And so this means we've gained him as this. We're possessing him as this. 
And so, I'm going to continue. He did not consider that he had experienced him in a full or gained him to the uttermost. For this reason, he was still advancing toward the goal, the gaining of Christ to the fullest extent. But it's just grieving as some in their feeling is, I've already arrived. I was in a meeting somewhere not that long ago when someone was sharing a very dear older saint. You could tell that this dear one really already feels, I'm this. I'm an overcomer. I have the characteristics that the Lord has spoken to this particular church in Revelations. I'm this. But the discernment in the body is, dear one, not yet. Not yet. You are self-deceived. It's a, an act of love on God's part to help us know where we are and how to go on from where we are, that we would never be content. Oh, I've been here now soon for 56 and a half years. Surely I'm mature. Surely I'm rapture ready. We should never have any kind of thought or feeling like this. Paul, who had experienced and gained Christ tremendously, he said, I haven't arrived yet. I haven't gained it yet. I'm pressing on. Now, we cannot imitate him and say, I'm going to do this from now on. Lord, I consecrate myself to uh, pursue you all the time. This is not real consecration. This is a promise. You're trying to make a promise. But I don't think it will last for one whole day. It's something we can't do. Lord, only you can do this to reproduce yourself in me for God's heart's desire. For this reason, he was still advancing toward the goal, the gaining of Christ to the fullest extent. Again, if someone would send me a text, what's the fullest extent? I have to say, I have no idea. I'm somewhere to a partial extent. What is the fullest extent that lies ahead? I long to find it all together with you in the body. Be in order to gain Christ to the fullest extent. Paul not only forsook his experiences in Judaism, but also would not linger in his past experiences of Christ and be limited by them. He forgot the past. So, sisters, over 40, a brother who is way, way, way over 40. In a gentle way, I'm going to ask you a question, brother to sister. And of course, the question is going to all the brothers. 
have you forgotten everything from the past? Everything. Not just the difficult things, not just the failures, the mistakes. All the good things, the best things, precious things. Is that still governing you, influencing you? If so, it's limiting you. We need this aspect of Paul's experience and his being a pattern to us. He would not be limited by what he wrote to first and second Thessalonians. He's not limited by the messages he gave in Acts. He's not limited by what he wrote to the Corinthians in two epistles. He's not limited by anything he experienced that he saw. He knows the best is ahead. This is the all-inclusive Christ. I am pressing on, still pressing, still advancing toward the goal. And forgetting the past. That's B and C put together. Now D, Christ is unsearchably rich. And there is a vast territory of his riches to be possessed. Paul was stretching out to reach the farthest extent of this territory. So you just see the motive in his being. He's not just saying this is vast territory. And I want to advance in it. But his goal is I want to reach the furthest extent. I'm not going to stop halfway. Even what I think is almost there. I will not stop. I sense I haven't reached the uttermost point. How can I be content? Even with what I enjoyed and experienced yesterday. That was so precious. That's yesterday. Today's not yesterday. What does the Lord have in his heart today? I'm going to press on today. If by the Lord's sovereignty, the Father's will, we are all here. We all are good health. In December 31st of this year, how wonderful it would be if we just had some reflection on what the year 2023 brought forth of the all-inclusive Christ in our life. Then we thank the Lord and praise him. And then we say, Lord, it'll be a new day tomorrow. I'm letting this go on. Go go on. Leave it from the past. I'm not going to linger on it. And the enemy is clever. And he can... Try to work and send out his demonic elements to just say, oh, we'll just get them to slow down and say, you, you've learned so much. You've been here so long. You've experienced so much. Take it easy. 
No, but the Lord's grace, you know, and after that experience that you all know about with the heart surgery, by the Lord's grace, I'm pressing on more aggressively than ever before in my whole life. It's not just walking along. You know, just having a little walk. Lord, I want to... No, we are pursuing. We are advancing. Now we have to come to a, an utmost important portion in verse 10, again, Paul aspired to know the power of Christ's resurrection. Notice he didn't say, I want to know about Christ's resurrection. I'd like to know what happened. What was his body like? Why did he say, I have flesh and bones? He didn't mention he had fish, uh, he had blood. Because he didn't. This is in Luke 24. Some of the disciples were afraid. They thought this was a spirit. Some kind of ghost. He said no. I have flesh and bones. Then he said you have any food? And he gave him some fish. And he ate it. Now don't ask me how he digested it. With a resurrection body. I, I don't linger about stuff like that. It's just here he is. And we don't want to, like Paul, I just wanted to know more facts about what happened. How did you hold up, you know, your, your, your burial dressing and things like that? No. I want to experientially know the power of Christ's resurrection. So point A says, the power of Christ's resurrection is his resurrection life, which raised him from the dead. So when we hear the word power, we may imagine of some kind of dynamic, explosive power, just breaking forth in a miraculous way. No, it's life. Power. The power of Christ's resurrection is his resurrection life. The resurrection life, get ready, is the highest power in the spiritual realm for us. We'll see shortly. Death cannot withstand it. The power of Christ's resurrection. The resurrection life of Christ defeats every aspect of death when it attacks. That's why that hymn we sang is one of the most marvelous hymns, not just in our hymnal, I believe ever written. Death cannot hold the resurrection life. And here I just want to point out that the body of Christ is constituted with the resurrection life of Christ. A local church is not constituted with the resurrection life of Christ. 
it's constituted of believers that are born of God. They've given themselves to the Lord. They want to be together in the church life. But in the eyes of God, and according to the revelation in the New Testament from the apostles' teaching, a local church is the expression locally of the universal body of Christ. And the body of Christ only accepts resurrection, life, and nature. There's nothing natural, nothing worldly in the body of Christ. So this is, my dear saints, a vital point. Because God's goal in this age is to build up the organic body of Christ. To open the way for him to come back with his bridal army and manifest the kingdom on the earth. The goal is not just to have more and more churches with a larger number of saints. That is the procedure. And again, I grieve. My heart aches when dear saints, they consider the procedure, the goal. This is how we were when we were spiritual children in about 1968. Something like this, when we would sing this song, we stand right here till Jesus comes, standing on the local ground. Here we are, we've arrived. We're standing on the local ground. We're just gonna be here singing until you come. Well, that's like kindergarten singing. The father is touched, but this is infantile. This is spiritual childishness to think just by being in a local church in the Lord's recovery, we've arrived. No, we've been brought to the proper standing where we can contribute to the fulfillment of God's eternal purpose. And so, in the body of Christ, there's only the resurrection life. Anything natural is rejected. But in a local church life, we're not going to judge anyone if they pray in a natural way or speak in a natural way. We can't say that's not allowed here. No, this is a saint learning, growing. We're in a family. But in the body, nothing natural is allowed. If this becomes a light shining in us, then we'll realize, Lord, while I'm here on the earth, I need you to touch and deal with every element of my natural constitution, even my God-created abilities, whatever they might be. Because the goal is the body built up in resurrection. And now I'm going to insert <clears throat> a matter from a verse we read and that we all know from John 11, 25, I am 
the resurrection and the life. Christ is resurrection. Resurrection <coughs> is not a thing. It's not an event. It will be an event experientially when our body is transfigured and hopefully we are raptured among the overcomers. But resurrection is a person. And this is what happened to the Apostle John. I'm turning to Revelation chapter 1. Because I want to read the whole verse. That's in. Uh, that I have before me. And he's the one who wrote. The gospel. He's the one who wrote. I'm the resurrection and the life. He testified. That Christ is. Resurrected. But when he was on the island of Patmos. And he was in spirit. And he saw the son of man. Standing in the midst of the golden lampstands. This is what he wrote. Revelation chapter 1, 17 and 18. And when I saw him. I fell at his feet as dead. And he placed his right hand on me, saying, Do not fear. I am the first and the last, and the living one. And I became dead. And behold, I am living forever and ever. And I have the keys of death and of Hades. He walked down into the depths of Hades, the realm of the dead. And he declared his victory to the evil spirits that were imprisoned there from an ancient time. He didn't preach the gospel. He proclaimed his victory on the cross. And then when he left, he didn't struggle. He just walked out, but now he said, I have the keys of death and Hades. And this verse was very, very precious to me. In May, I'm uh, sorry, March 2016, when I was standing right by the grave where my wife would be buried. And to testify, love is as strong as death. Death cannot hold resurrection life. The resurrected Christ has the keys of death and Hades. He has conquered it. So in Acts 2.24, we're told when he was resurrected, he couldn't be constrained. We don't know exactly what happened. My personal belief is he didn't struggle. He has the authority. He said he came down here to make a proclamation and to gain the keys of death in Hades. Now I'm walking out. You can't stop me because I already defeated you and resurrection life 
conquers death. So that is why he could tell this ancient apostle, 90 plus. And this is, he said, I'm the first and the last. I'm the living one. He knows what it is to die. I became dead. I'm living forever. And because of this, he died and resurrected. And now we have the assurance. The last is not death. The last is the resurrection, the resurrected Christ. These things, and we read from chapter Romans chapter 2, verse 8. These things, says the first and the last, who became dead and lived again. And I made these notes. I'm just reading them to you now. And that is, lived again refers to resurrection. The Lord suffered death. And lived again. He entered into death. But death could not hold him. Because he is. Resurrection. Christ went into Hades. Passed through death. Overcame death. And came out of death. Triumphantly. This is resurrection. We need to really know and experience. The triumphant Christ. Surely what could be a greater victory. Than conquering. The most powerful element. Next to God himself. No human being. No human. Plant or. Animal. None can resist this. When it comes. There's nothing anyone or anything can do. This is the ultimate weapon that the enemy brought in through sin. But his goal was death. But our dear Lord Jesus destroyed the devil on the cross, descended into Hades, proclaimed his victory. And walked out in a victorious way. If I remember correctly. There's a, a book from Messages in the 1980s. On, on the ex experiencing the reality of Christ as the offerings. And I think the first message is about the church meetings. Where we come to proclaim. The triumphant. Christ, the victory of Christ, to be at the table and to be able to say to the whole universe, we are here, this bread and cup on the table, and our being here as living members of the body are a testimony and a declaration that our Lord is victorious. He terminated every negative thing on the cross. He conquered death in resurrection. Death cannot hold the resurrection life. Okay, then we uh, go on.
The spirit is the reality of Christ's resurrection and its power. So when we're talking to, talking about rather, experiencing the resurrection life of power, we need to realize that the spirit is the reality of Christ's resurrection and its power. And we read that verse again. I was so glad the way the Lord led us to 1 Corinthians 15.45. The last Adam became the life-giving spirit. And the resurrected Christ right now is dwelling in us and wants to spread out and permeate and saturate us with his resurrection life. But it's all by the spirit being the reality of Christ's resurrection. So Christ dwells in us as the life-giving spirit. In order to experience the resurrection life of Christ, we need to see that in resurrection, Christ became the life-giving spirit. In a way, this verse, 1 Corinthians 15, 45b, in many ways it characterizes the Lord's recovery. For many of us, this was the first verse that came to our attention. The last Adam who died on the cross and resurrection is the life-giving spirit. And now the Lord wants us every day to advance in experiencing his resurrection life and being constituted with his resurrection life. So we know from Romans 8, 10, that our body is death because of sin, but our spirit is life because of righteousness. And I don't remember much of the Greek I studied, but I know now that the Greek word for life is zoe. And in the original Greek, zoe just meant life. But as used by God in the New Testament, especially through the Apostle John, it's in contrast to our soul life or physical life. It's the life of God. Zoe. So the verse doesn't say there is life in your spirit. The verse says your spirit is Zoe life. You are already one third God in life and nature. Because in your spirit right now, you have the same life that the eternal triune God has, the divine life, the eternal life. It's not just in your spirit. Your spirit is life. Your spirit is Zoe. So anytime you exercise your spirit, 
even in your daily living, as I'll illustrate in a moment. The divine life flows. So you go, if you're young, you're in school. You're back there early Monday morning. Or you are on your job, whatever it is. And you see a fellow worker and you say, hi, good morning. How are you? Very human words. But you exercise your spirit when you converse with someone around the water container when you're taking a drink. Why? Because your spirit is Zoe. Then we're told in Romans 8 that the mind set on the spirit is life. So now our mind, emotion, and will are not yet permanently life. <clears throat> but when our mind and the spirit are one, and the spirit is saturating our emotion, and the spirit is transforming our will, then when we use these functions from our God-created soul, there's resurrection life. And along with many others, I just am so thankful that Paul wrote verse 11 in Romans 8. And again, I don't want to trust my memory. I almost memorized it, but I don't want to trust that because it's so encouraging. Here it is. And if the spirit of the one who raised Christ, who raised Jesus from the dead, dwells in you. He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who indwells you. I want to take a couple minutes here. If the spirit of the one who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, does not this spirit dwell in you? It's not visiting you. It's making home in you. It's dwelling in you. The spirit of the one that is Father God who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. So this is the foundation for this experience. Then he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies. We know from a previous chapter in Romans, our body is a body of sin and it's a body of death. So I have an octogenarian body of death. It is. I want a new one. I often say, kind of in a pleasant way, often to the young trainees on Monday, <clears throat> you have a time to exercise, you know, you're lifting weights, building, you want to build up muscles, you're doing this to be kind of strong. 
But people like me, we exercise to stay alive, to stay as healthy as we can, because our hope is not in building up our physical body. With my flat feet, I'm never going to be able to win a race. Come on. And I'm not going to try to lift weights or anything. I have a mortal body, but I can tell you in a real living way, having passed through that surgery and the recovery, this verse was so real to me. The spirit of the one who raised Christ from the dead is dwelling in me right now. And the spirit of the one who raised Christ Jesus from the dead is giving life to my mortal body. And I see some saints that are not so young. And I know you can smile a little and nod your head because even today, the one who raised Christ Jesus from the dead dispensed life into your mortal body. But don't feel uh, you're neglected, the young ones. You have energy, you're vigorous, you're strong, but you're not too young. You can have the one who raised Christ Jesus from the dead gives life to your mortal body. So now we go on from here. Let's see, point C. The spirit compounded with Christ's resurrection, <coughs> excuse me, and its power indwells our spirit to dispense Christ's resurrection and its power not only to our spirit and soul, but also to our mortal body. And now I need to share two other important matters regarding resurrection, and then I'll end with the last part of the outline D and one, two, and three. And that is this, based upon John eleven twenty five, and the verses I read from Revelation one and two. Resurrection is life that overcomes death without being damaged or injured by death. That, that hymn we, we sang, I referred to, and many saints can testify again and again, we have passed through death. I remember one morning, maybe more than 20 years ago, I was in another city for a conference early in the morning, and the Lord inwardly said, Ron, read Psalm 23. Read. And I wondered, why are you telling me to read? This I've memorized like so many other people. No, he said, read. And so I read. You know, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness. Then now I know why he said read it. 
when I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you are with me. It wasn't he, it was you. And many of us here, more than once, have just had to endure and suffer just heartbreaking events. Just people we love passing away. So many things. And we're walking through the valley of the shadow of death. You can't sprint through. Like American culture, want everything to be happened so fast. Well, let's just say it's over now. No. This is a walk. And it's a walk through the valley of the shadow of death but not the valley of death. Christ walked through the valley of death. And now the resurrected Christ is with us and in us as we are walking through the valley of the shadow of death. And he has a rod and another element so he can guide us. And when we kind of wander away, he can recover us. And he has the element to defeat the enemy's attacks. Then eventually, we walk through this valley. Just inwardly, you have the sense, Lord, you brought me through. Yes, I still lost this beloved one. I'll always remember. But I'm not in the death valley now. But there you are in the the battlefield. There's a luxurious table of healthy food there. And you'll be in the house. Death is powerless to do anything with resurrection life. We have to know this. Because we're going to engage with this in our journey on the earth again and again. And the enemy will send out sometimes more than one demon to torment us, to attack us, and to try to instill fear in us. But we can say, we know, I know death is coming, but it's powerless because I am one with the resurrected Christ. And the resurrected Christ is my light flowing right now. And I will pass through this valley again because of the victorious Christ and the power of his resurrection. Death can inflict all kinds of damages on other forms of life. Now remember, I won't go into the details, I was a little boy. I had a pet hamster named Pepsi. And some of you might know what a, what a basement is to a house. In some parts of the country, there actually are houses with, with basements and you can go down the stairs and it may not be a, a beautiful place, but it's, the temperature is okay. And I had down there a cage for my, my little pet. And then one morning, I went down every morning to be with him and 
Then I found out he was lying there still. And I thought maybe he died. Anyway, the Lord recovered him for the next month or so. Then the same thing happened again. I won't go into the detail about what I did after the first time. Some of you know about this. You can tell each other. And then I had a little funeral in the backyard and put him in the box. But I was a little boy. And now for the first time, I met death. I met death. And its effect and how it's irresistible. But death that we're passing through will not damage us. Will not deform us. Only one kind of only one kind of life cannot be hurt by death. That's the resurrection life. And it's in us. We will walk through the valley, but we will not be damaged. We will come forth with more Christ constituted into us. According to the full revelation of the scriptures, God himself is the resurrection life. And Christ, as we know now, is the resurrection life. The principle of resurrection is that the natural life is killed and the divine life rises up in its place. This is what all believers will experience sooner that is in this age or later in the coming age. No one will avoid this because we're created naturally. This is how it all began. And we were born with certain natural abilities. Some are brilliant, some are almost geniuses, others are creative. Others are just people, people. They just know how to get along with all kinds of people. Others have the skill of administrating things. Some are eloquent speakers. Some can sing. Well, that's all our God-created natural ability. But in the body of Christ, there's no room for it. And Brother Nee is a, an example of tremendous God created intelligence and other ability, but it passed through death and was brought into resurrection so that it could be honored by the spirit and used by the spirit to carry out God's economy. And so what is going to happen to all of us as we are heading toward knowing the reality of the body of Christ and living in the reality of the body of Christ, we need to pass through the stage of the cross operating in us, the cross dealing with flesh, the cross dealing with the self, the cross dealing, the cross dealing with the natural constitution, and bringing the God-created, redeemed ability into resurrection. Then it will be used by God. That which is passes through death and still remains is resurrection. 
Resurrection is something that has come out of death and that is beyond the natural realm. And so this is something that really should be shared to anyone who has the heart to shepherd other saints. And that is everyone needs to pass through this experience of the natural elements being touched by the cross. And then our God-created and redeemed capacities are brought into resurrection. Then the Lord may use them. In my case, I can tell just part of it. The calling began when I was 16 in October 1954. The walk through the valley of the shadow of death to deal with whatever capacity I had was completed during the December training in 1994. The Lord knows the time span, the arrangement, whatever he is working on for the benefit of the body. And then I saw many brothers younger than I that were here, they were traveling, they were giving messages. And I had no jealousy of them. I had no envy of them. Actually, I just prayed for them. The Lord just bring them forth. I'm where you want me to be. I'm experiencing what you have ordained for me. I am yours. Whatever you will, whatever benefits the body, whatever is your will. And so we realize more and more we're brought into resurrection. Resurrection means that no event or circumstance or circumstance can cause us to have the resurrection life to be held down. And many of us can testify. We were pressed down by so many things. We're human. The weight is just crushing us, but we're not held down. Why? Not because we're strong. No. It's because of the power of resurrection life that as soon as death attacks, you may not be conscious of it because of, we have so many other feelings going on simultaneously. But the power of resurrection life immediately is functioning inwardly. So have you ever been at the bedside of someone you love passing away? And knowing this is going to happen is one thing. But when it happens, it's a blow. And that is death. And the enemy thinks, now I'm going to get him. But deep within, the power of resurrection life is operating. And then eventually, 
it will break through and we will not be held down by any negative thing the enemy can bring to our situation. To be in resurrection means that our natural life is crucified and that the God-created part of our being is uplifted in resurrection to be one with Christ in resurrection. So maybe there are some gifted musicians there or singers. Well, this is your God-created ability. Some of you might even have perfect pitch. Whenever I sang, I would go flat. I was with some other singers, but just go flat. So you have this, and you use it, and people appreciated it. Now you're here, and it's being terminated. Why? Because it's natural. Then it's going to happen. You let it happen. And then this resurrected ability, your resurrected mutual a musical ability will be brought forth. I just tell you a secret. I've never shared this with anyone before. You consider the profound revelations that have been given to us in the last 30 and 40 years. I just long, Lord, Lord, we need another three or four hundred hymns on the level of Brother Nee and Brother Lee's hymns to be able to fully worship you. And I believe those that have the God-created ability to do this are here. But if they will allow the Lord to bring this ability into death, and then bring it forth in resurrection. We may never know who wrote this hymn. But wouldn't it be wonderful if we got a new hymnal with 500 new hymns on the triune God, on God's economy, on resurrection, on the mingled spirit, item after item after item after item. What would it do to us in our morning time to pray sing this? And so, you know, I, I wrote a few hymns. Others wrote many more hymns. I don't have any confidence that I'll do anything. But I believe, oh, because we are going to rejoice and sing. Surely when we get married, that's going to be a happy time. I better bring this to an end. When we do not live by our natural life, but live in the divine life within us, we are in resurrection. So this is your future. All of you, you will stop living by your natural life and your daily living. And more and more, you will live in your daily living by the resurrection life of Christ. So you're a mother reading a book to your little girl. You've read it 87 times before. She knows everything. You skip a page. She says, Mommy, you skipped a page. But even in doing that, you're in resurrection life. 
you are a resurrected mother, a resurrected grandma, resurrected dad. Really, we are God men, not just a term anymore, but resurrected God men living a God man life more and more. And now the last part, we should cooperate with the resurrecting spirit to recognize that we have been resurrected with Christ and to pursue the power of the resurrection of Christ. It is by this power of Christ's resurrection that we, the lovers of Christ, determine to take the cross by denying the self. It is by the power of resurrection that we, the lovers of Christ, are enabled to be conformed to his death, to be one with his cross, in order to experience the life-giving spirit as the reality of the flourishing riches of the resurrection Christ, we have to discern our spirit from our soul. Eventually, we will. And more and more, we will live in the resurrection life of Christ. The body will be built up in this resurrection life. The bride will make herself ready. And our beloved husband-to-be will come, rapture us, and we will enter together into the wedding feast in an atmosphere of resurrection life. Praise the Lord. He is resurrection.